again, so welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, episode 49, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. As always, I'm joined by Dom. Roger Dodger. And Jordan. How's it going, Jordan? Boring. <laughs> so, uh, another week of video games that we've been playing. For me, it's been a really awesome week. I've been playing Hollow Knight. It's a game that I've been super excited for ever since it was announced on Kickstarter. It's a very beautiful game. Uh, gives me... It's in the same vein of Ori and the Blind Forest, so it's a very Metroidvania, uh, Metroidvania, Metroidvania e. Jesus Christ, um, that's a tough one. Two D platformer. Uh, the the thing with it though is, uh, whereas Ori and the Blind Forest is just like very beautiful and kind of emotional and and uh, and it just looks like a Pixar movie or a Disney movie. This is very Tim Burton-y. It's uh, very gothic horror-y. Uh, gives me a lot of like Dark Souls or Bloodborne vibes mixed with Tim Burton. Uh, the game's beautiful. It's really fun. Uh, it's very mysterious. And the characters are great. So one of my favorite things about the Soul series, I haven't played Bloodborne obviously, but it's probably the same thing, is that you meet these weird mysterious characters who you only ever really most of the time hear maybe three or four lines from them, but even in that you learn so much about that character, or it just intrigues you in the slightest, right? And you're like, where is this dude from? Or and where you is can this person never from? trust them. Yeah, exactly. And they're so but mysterious you don't you know can. exactly Yeah, you don't know exactly what's going on. The beauty of this game is that unlike Ori Ori in the Blind Forest had some boss e kind of parts to it but this game has bosses and that's what gives me the soul the whole souls vibe is that there's these um these mini bosses that you fight throughout the game and it's all centered around bugs so your main character is kind of like this hornet kind of character um a lot of them are like weird caterpillar or fly or mosquito kind of bugs all of them all the characters in the game are somehow inspired by a real life insect uh, the way you fast travel in this game is really interesting. It's this giant, like, horned beetle-looking thing, uh, a stag, and you and he talks, too. He's not, like, a weird animal that just walks around. He actually is a character, and he gives, like, talks to you about how they used to roam the halls of this great place. And the way the game is set up is that you go into this town above surface, and an old, wise elder guy kind of tells you, like, I don't know what happened to all the people. They went down below. They're turning bad, yada, 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 like a very basic pitch, right? As you go down, you start, uh, you know, finding these characters and these enemies. A lot of the characters actually go back to the surface and open shops or other areas where you can talk to them. So the game rewards you for exploration. Like, you can not run into a character and then not have some of the items that they sell you. Another cool thing is that there's these emblems that you attach to your character to give you certain benefits. One of them allows you to gather more hollow, which I'll explain what that is in a second. Uh, other ones give you more uh, more defense or stuff like that, quicker attacks. The hollow I might already be able to guess what hollow is. It's essentially, it's kind of like, uh, it, so it's a, 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 a empty meter on the top left screen. And what happens is you fill it up whenever you kill enemies. And you have five hearts to begin the game with. Every time you take a hit, you lose a heart. Obviously, they're not hearts on the top of the screen, but it's the easiest way to communicate it. Uh, and you hold down B and you use some of your hollow to restore health. Every time you die, it takes away one of those hearts too. So they count as um, damage points, but they also count as lives. Uh, and there's save points at, at uh, check checkpoints that you reach. And the character is really interesting. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much of the game because I really want Dom to play this on Switch when it comes out. And you too, Jordan, if it comes out on PlayStation or if you end up getting Switch. I don't want to spoil too much of this game because I hope you guys get to play it. Um... But one of the bosses is called the the False Knight, and you end up is a big giant boss. He's towards the beginning of the game, 
and he looks very intimidating once you kill him you find out it was this weird parasitic bug that actually took over the body of an actual awesome knight and that's why he was called false knight because he was nothing really impressive and uh another character that you meet is called needle i believe and she uses this weird like point uh, like a needle uh, as her attack and she throws it at you and then pulls it back and she warps over the map she's really fast um and the, the game's just really good it's it's brimming with personality it's brimming with charm like the atmospheres in this game are incredible uh it, it's very it, though it's named closely to shovel knight obviously hollow knight it is in that same vein of like taking an old game and making it new again and if you loved Ori in the Blind Forest, you love Metroidvanias in general, or you just love like that weird gothic Tim Burton horror style, it's definitely for you. Like this, this is an awesome game. Uh, I really think that this game is going to be like in the running for like indie game of the year at the end of the year with everything else that's going to be coming out. It's really solid. So I thought Hollow was going to be like Souls and Dark Souls. Yeah. There's actually so there's not there's not that mechanic, but whenever you do kill enemies, they drop these weird like shell looking things. And those are the currency, and you use those. You lose them whenever you die, and when you respawn, you have to kill the ghost of yourself to get them back. And you use those to buy upgrades and, and maps and stuff like that. One of the coolest okay, characters... Okay, so that is like Souls. Kind of, yeah. One of the characters, he you find him randomly throughout the game in different areas, and he gives you the option to buy maps from him. And his wife actually runs the store above ground that will sell you stuff. So you can either buy maps from him, or additions to maps, or things that basically um support your discovery with her so there's like a really a lot of really cool story elements in the game a lot of the characters are really cool a lot of the areas are really cool so when you look at this game i don't know if you guys i've shown i think i've shown you guys a couple of screenshots you think it's mostly going to be like black and whites and grays right like very gothic-y uh one of the parts of the game towards the middle of it because i'm about four and a half hours in uh is very lush with forests so there's a lot of differentiating environments and um it's very refreshing, and a lot of the mechanics they introduce are really cool, too, and it's just a really well-made game. I knew once I saw this Kickstarter, it was going to get funded because people love these type of games, and I'm glad that it met the type of quality people expected because that's not always the case with Kickstarters, and Shovel Knight was Kickstarted. A lot of people forget that, so I think this is definitely in the echelon with Shovel Knight of like just a great game, so that's pretty much all I've been playing. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play it on my switch (laughs) (laughs) what have you been playing though (laughs) so yeah in in reality what i have been playing um so over this past weekend and i think it only took me four hours i platinum platinumed the order 1886 um, which i had played through it through the campaign once before um and had actually played through the whole thing again and it still only took a couple hours (laughs) Um, to do that and then clean up the rest of the trophies. So, I mean, you could probably get this, beat this game in its entirety and earn the platinum in like six hours or less uh, if you wanted. But I mean, I really like that game and I did want to go back to it eventually anyway. So, just something I knew uh, that I'd be able to get done uh, after I had just finished Bloodborne and only had a week until Horizon and Zelda. So, I didn't have a whole lot of time. I didn't want to jump into something too big. So, got that out of the way. Um, and then as of this past Tuesday, this little game, I don't think anyone really knows about it, and I think it's kind of a critical shit show. He's talking um, about Horizon. Horizon Zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll say first I, I pre-ordered it digitally uh, right through the PSN. It was ready to go at midnight, uh, Monday night. Look so, at you, yeah. putting your big boy britches on. 
and, and I think that's something I'm going to start doing. I mean, there's there's few games that I buy immediately at launch, um, uh, but when the, in those scenarios, and I know it's something I'm not going to want to sell back or anything like that, I'm going to start going digital. It's it's the convenience is starting to, uh, you know, justify the extra cost uh, versus the Amazon discounts. Uh, but yeah, so that was the first thing. Dude, my boys over at CD Projekt unlocked Witcher 3 five hours early. Yeah, yeah. So there's shit then, like that where it just, right. it's on that, worth it. On that same note, though, like Amazon seems to have shipped a whole bunch of people with copies a day early. I've seen a whole lot of switches and copies of Zelda go out a day or two early to people, and I'm sitting over here banging my head against the wall like, God damn it, sitting at work for nine, ten hours a day. Anyway, I'm going on a big tangent here. Um, <clears throat> so... I don't, I'm not going to say too much about Horizon. I'll let Jordan hit on it too. But I'll just say one thing. Since it came out Tuesday until today, which is Thursday, I think I've played seven or eight hours, which during my week, week you know, my weekday schedule is unheard of for me to play a game <laughs> that much. Um, I mean, I'm like getting up early before, before I go to work uh, to play a couple hours of this type of shit. So that's all. I mean, that to me, that, that shows how good it is and i think by now the reviews went up like two weeks ago so everyone knows you know so much about it but it is basically what you've heard what everyone else has said it's that's exactly what this game is it's fantastic yeah we'll probably get into a deeper discussion once you guys have more hours into it i definitely want to hear right like your guys deeper thoughts on the game i know both of you guys from what jordan said too aren't too far into it but uh yeah, I, I, I know you guys are going to have some interesting takes, plus more of the same that we've heard because so many people have talked about it for so long, but I'm interested right. to see your guys' perspectives on it. What have you been playing? Yeah, yeah so obviously I've been playing... Oh, should I just take you on a mysterious trip for 10 minutes like Dom did about the game <laughs> that I've been playing um, that came out this Tuesday that uh, could possibly be a PlayStation exclusive called Horizon Zero Dawn? <laughs> uh it's the critical uh, shit show. It's, it is a shit show. It's a terrible game. It's worse than Uncharted. I don't <laughs> right. like it at all. Well, now um, I know no, you're joking. <laughs> no, no, no. It is uh, much better than in any of the Uncharted games. It is uh, the best PlayStation exclusive since Bloodborne. Okay. Uh, I was going to stop you, but you got it. <laughs> the best uh, first-party Sony game since Infamous. And... Um, <laughs> It is really fucking good. Uh, I, um, my work schedule is not as tight as Dom, so I would have liked to play it a lot more. I played about five or six hours, um, but I actually got super busy this week, so I just haven't had time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can already tell this is one of those games, um, that I would wake up early before work to go play that I would, uh, you know, stay up extra late, even though I know I got to get up early for work the next day and play. Um, this is one of those games that's getting its hooks in me, and I'm I'm honestly, um, like, dying to get back to it. Um, but I'm supposed to leave right after we record the podcast, so that's probably not going to happen for a while. Um, but, you know, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, I'm loving it, and um, very few flaws at this point. Uh one of the only things that's really ticking me off is the fact that they don't have an option for uh, camera sensitivity, which is oh, a really? big deal, big deal in games for me. I like my camera sensitivity way low, sometimes even all the way down, and even for shooters. 
And uh, this game just does not have it, and it's really quick camera for me personally. And um, it's it's kind of just weird, you know, like getting used to the new TV and the camera being off. It's just kind of throwing me off a little bit. But that's really my biggest, uh, you know, disappointment. And um, there's stuff here and there, like, you know, the characters are super, super high res, but then, you know, there is still that uncanny valley there. Um, and some of them just look kind of, I, I had heard this before in the reviews, but, um, you can tell how some of the main characters got a lot more, uh, work put into their, uh, character forms and their faces and their um, animations, right? They're yeah, much some more of the, detailed. Yeah. Especially when you're talking to characters, some of them come off like, like a mass effect conversation or much like kind of like a fallout, but way better. But that same kind of feeling of where they just seem a little stiff. Um, they look really good, but they just feel stiff sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say like fallout is the worst offender of that. As right, far as right. open world RPGs, if we're talking, you know, um, how realistic the NPCs are, I would say fallout and just Bethesda games in general are dog shit. Uh, well, Mass Effect, I would say, and uh, the Bioware games, Mass Effect and Dragon Age, are a step above that. And then I would say CD Projekt a step above that. And then oh, I would yeah. say these are even a step above CD Projekt. I agree. Um, but they're still, and so that would make them, right. in my opinion, the best looking NPCs in video games, but or most realistic feeling. But we're still in that uncanny valley, and that's going to be probably another five years before you really see a big big step in the right direction for that i think yeah Wor- uh, and worst looking npcs go to sports games by the way <laughs> oh my gosh i sit there and watch my brothers and i'm like they just don't give a fuck do they and my brother's like what he's like that doesn't look that bad i'm like dude the coach looks like an alien they just all don't even look human and i feel like you see the coach like 50 times a game why not just it's not that hard you know if you're not on the field, they just seem like they just don't care about it. Like, that's yeah. a whole other discussion I want to get into about, like, exclusivity with sports licenses. But we'll talk about that sure, another sure. time. I just want to say that sure. sports NPCs are awful. What were we going to say, though, Doug? No, you're sorry, cool. for, sorry for putting off. Oh, so Jordan pointed out that there's a lack of uh, options for the camera sensitivity. I didn't want to throw in that this game has a remarkable amount of options for uh, customizing the HUD that I've never seen before. Yes, um, thank you for bringing that up. It's great. Like, every. Because when you first start the game, the HUD is cluttered as fuck. Like, literally, you can barely see what you're doing because there's so much stuff on the HUD. And um, you, if you just take a quick run into the settings, you can customize every single element individually, whether you want it uh, always there or dynamic, meaning that it, you know, it only pops up when something with that changes, right? Um, yeah. Or gone, everything like that. Um, and then it also they also have really great options uh, for PS4 Pro, even on a 1080p TV. Um, it's it's simple, right? It's just one switch that you can say favor re- resolution or favor performance. Uh, it's basically the the same mode as Neo, right? So it's still Which, simple. It's not going into like PC territory where you can customize every last detail about the graphics, but it yeah. still gives you some options to change how you want it to look. Yeah, I think that's going to become way more common with games. And like, why not? I think consoles are complicated enough. Like, people are like, oh, I miss the old days when I just popped in a cartridge. Shut the fuck up. Games need to update. Like, they're broken as shit sometimes when they're released. Games used to be broken as shit when they were released, and you just had to buy a broke-ass game and spend that much money on it. It's like, of course we need updates and stuff like that now, so um, 
yeah, I'm glad that, that that's a thing. But, uh, also with your, you were mentioning the customization of the HUD and I think I really love it. I had a different experience than you though. Um, basically anytime I start up a video game, I go into the options number one. And so I went in and I was changing the HUD and I switched it over to custom and basically what that did is it just changed everything to dynamic. And so I was yeah, like, that's what I oh, did. that should uh, that should be about right. So I just left it like that, jumped into the game. And so, yeah, everything is dynamic. It was never cluttered because uh, it never, you know, ha- I never had that part uh, where it all popped up for me. So, yeah, it was basically just um, as soon as I jumped in, basically anytime you need anything, it fades in and it's. Gosh, it's already such a gorgeous game on the PS4 Pro. I was telling you guys in our chat that, I mean, these textures are just so, so crispy. And, uh, you know, we've already gone deep enough into the game. It has the, the best I'll... pixels, Jared. Yeah, yeah it, it does. I don't know about all the teraflops, but it has all the pixels. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, I think um, the HUD is a great way to allow some customization. And then, like we were talking about, I think... You know, like, consoles are just complicated enough. Why not give you a switch for resolution or frame rate or or whatever? Let's hop into this news. Uh, so the first bit of news here was, it was funny because it was going to be initially that the news was going to be that there was a leak by Target that Shadow of War, the sequel to Middle-Earth uh, Shadow of Mordor, uh, it was a leak by Target and it stated that it was going to come out August 22nd. People didn't know if the release date was correct, if this was made in error. Obviously, it was pretty official that this game was getting leaked by Target. So, instead of not saying anything until E3, uh, Monolith and WB kind of just released the trailer in the next day. Uh, so, we got the official trailer for Middle-Earth Shadow of War. It's a sequel to uh, the 2015, is that correct, Jordan? 14. 2014 game Shadow of Mortar, which people loved with the Nemesis system. Seems like it's going to have a revamped uh, Nemesis system upgraded, probably for the likes of PS4 Pro and Project Scorpio. Another interesting about th- uh, thing about that is that this is the first game officially um, that's coming out for Project Scorpio, uh, so that's really cool. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. They had the Balrog in in the trailer. Um, yeah, saw the Nazgul. Uh, we were talking about over message that uh, you you told me that one of the expansions, DLC expansions, uh, mm. what was it called? The Blade of Galadriel. The Blade of Galadriel. Yeah. So this is awesome. In a year where we already had enough games that we knew were coming out, I think this is going to be a solid oh, game. Oh, baby. I was telling you guys, this is three days after my birthday, and I am P-U-M-P-E-D for this game. Because it is looking... <laughs> it is looking rocking, man. Uh, Jared, you were talking to Dom. He was like, oh, I'm not really into Lord of the Rings. You're like, oh, yeah, uh, Two Towers is awesome. The battle is just freaking crazy and then this trailer shows up and i'm like damn this looks like the two towers battle this is gonna be off the chain um i think they're just it really just seems like they're kicking up a notch with this uh you know for the sequel of shadow of mordor they're really just kicking it up to 10 or 11 if you're a rock star um and i think that this is exactly exactly what i want i think that expansion is going to be awesome um and, you know, we talked about, I think it was last E3, we were kind of wondering why Shadow of Mordor sequel wasn't there. Um, but it does make sense now, 
And then looking back, Shadow of Mordor was one of the first games patched for PS4 Pro. That was at yep. the uh, oh, Sony wow. little media conference they had. And now that I'm thinking back, we should have realized that Shadow of Mordor sequel was coming real quick once they did that patch because why would you just patch this random old game for PS4 Pro, you know? But The worst part is that was in one of my... So I've been writing up. Whenever I have an idea of something, I have a notepad, I'm just writing down my E3 predictions just so I don't forget them, right? They may be yeah. dumb or I may look back at them. I was looking at my E3 predictions, and one of my predictions I was going to make was the Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor sequel. So I had to cross that <laughs> off the list. I'm like, well, that's not happening. This game looks yeah. awesome. Uh, you know, we always talk about how we want more superhero games. I think that Lord of the Rings games, for the most part, have been good. Um, the, obviously, I think Shadow of Mordor is far and away the best one ever made. But even the old school ones mm. that were based solely on the movies, I think were good games in their own right. I don't think they were great, but I think they were very solid games. And um, just like you want to see more and more superhero games, and that's your thing. Like, I think we both love Lord of the Rings. And I would rather live in a world where Lord of the Rings games existed than didn't, you know? Sure. My only other dream, and I've talked about this before, is if uh, somebody makes a, a, a Redwall game. Uh, Brian Jack's Redwall. Damn. Like, my favorite series. I would love for that to happen. CD that Project would be Red, so dope! Yeah, I'm super excited for this. Um, Dom, I know you're not a huge Lord of the Rings fan, but when this game like starts rolling out its marketing and PR, definitely check it out because it might be a game that you'll enjoy because I know you really like the, the Batman games, don't you? The WB Batman yeah. games? Yeah. And and I, played it, Shadow of, <clears throat> I played Shadow of Mordor and it was good. Um, I, I thought the environments kind of, I just, they got really boring to me eventually and I was, the combat that game and, like, got going, super repetitive. That's the, yeah. that's the biggest thing you need to focus on with this sequel. Right. Yeah, and, and it wouldn't be as bad if I was a little more connected to the world and everything, I think. But, like, the actual combat, going into the forts uh, and, you know, taking them over and the bosses and the nemesis system, that stuff was all great. Um, it just kind of, after a while, it just wore me down, I guess. I yeah. think it spoke to how good the combat was and how good the nemesis system was that you could... I played it for, you know, 30 hours. I played it for 30 hours on PC... And now I've bought uh, the Game of the Year edition on PS4 because I never got to the DLC. And, of course, now that I've got the Pro and the sequels coming out, I'm playing it, I'm playing through it again. And so I think that speaks to uh, the combat itself that it can. I can admit that it, it does get boring and repetitive, but yet I still itch for that just, you know, stabbing Oryx through it's the fucking skull. Yeah. yeah. And everything points to the sequel being better just because... Uh, it uses Assassin's Creed assets. Remember, there was a whole deal. Um, and Assassin's Creed 2 is better than Assassin's Creed. A lot of people... Dom, do you know about that? that? No. So, they they had permission. They, um... What did they have? Guys that worked on Assassin's Creed, Jared? No, PC they just... They, they, not that they had people. They just... Uh, uh, they found out that there was the code that they used in Assassin's Creed was in this game as well. No one worked it at Monolith that was with Assassin's Creed. I could have sworn that they... they saw the code and it was the same exact code from Assassin's Creed. Jordan, yeah, I, I think what you're thinking of is uh, Uncharted Four stole a picture from Assassin's Creed Black Flag or something like that. Oh yeah, well the the concept artist from Black Flag used his own concept art in the Uncharted trailer. Um, I might have mixed that up, but yeah, I, I I actually think that Monolith had permission because I feel like they were open about it because they literally rip code straight from Assassin's Creed 2. You can look at side-by-sides and like um, the way that uh, Troy Baker's character moves in Shadow of Mordor is like 
it's exactly the same, just a different clothes on. Yeah, uh, I think we're all pretty excited for it, especially me and Jordan. I can't wait to play this game. I'm super stoked. Um, the next bit of news, this comes by way of Eurogamer. Minecraft has smashed 121 million copies. Uh, you know, My- Minecraft is huge. It continues to sell. Uh, as kids are being born, more and more kids that are getting into video games, it's a, one of the easiest ways to get kids into video games, right? All kids love Minecraft. My little nephew, uh, when he originally got an Xbox, my, my uh, sister bought him an Xbox. He was like, the first game he wanted was Minecraft because all of his friends talked about playing Minecraft. It's huge, obviously, evident by its sales numbers. Funny thing, too, people tend to forget this is uh, Microsoft's biggest first party. They own Mojang and they own Minecraft, so uh, it's huge for them that the, this thing continues to sell. Uh, a lot of people talked about, like, will we ever see a Minecraft 2? I think that's from people not really understanding uh, the game. It's a service. I don't think we'll ever see a sequel to Minecraft. I think it's just going to be updated upon over and over again, you know? I don't think we'll ever see a Minecraft 2. It doesn't, doesn't make sense for it. Um, but I mean, this is astonishing. I don't think any of us are surprised by its sales numbers. That game just sells and sells and sells. Like I stated before, I personally bought it three times um, for discounted prices each time, but I owned it on PC. Then it came out on Xbox 360. Uh, I bought it for a discount, then it came out on Xbox One, and I got it for a discount. It's a, it's so, a cool game to play when you want to listen to podcasts and stuff. So, Uncle Jared, you'd say you're a pretty big fan of Minecraft, I guess? I don't play it anymore. I got burnt out on it, but I, yeah, I would say at one point I was a really big fan of Minecraft. I still like the game. I just don't play it as nearly as I used to. Okay. Yeah, I used to play also, it a lot. Also, your, your new nickname is definitely Uncle Jared. Ah, I like <laughs> it. All righty. Um, the next story, uh, since you have not too much to say there, comes by way of Oscar Deus over at GameSpot. You can now buy games from Twitch and streamers get a cut. Streaming service Twitch to start selling games soon. Streaming service Twitch is starting to sell digital PC games. The site announced today that it will allow viewers to purchase games directly from streamers' pages starting in spring 2017. Once you buy a game, it will be launchable through Twitter's uh, Twitter, Twitch's own desktop program or through publisher-led applications such as Ubisoft's Play or EA Origin. Doing so will reward customers with a free Twitch crate, which may include randomized drops of items such as exclusive emotes, chat badges, and more. Basically giving people a reason... Um, outside of just supporting their favorite streamer to buy it on Twitch, right? This is me talking about the article. I think this is huge. Uh, we talked about this for the show that this is Twitch understanding and publishers understanding the value of streamers. And uh, a lot of people look to streamers to decide whether or not they're going to purchase a game. And being able to have t- people purchase those games means it's a quicker purchase. You know, it's right underneath the page. They don't have to go to another website or think about it. You know, businesses want people to to act spontaneously, right? And not have people think about their purchasing decisions. And having it right there is great for them. Uh, the fact that publishers are getting a huge cut of it is great. The fact that streamers are getting a partial cut of it, a very minute cut, but a cut nonetheless, because they are directly responsible for sales sometimes, you know. I think this is huge. I think this is this is great for um, consumers and for streamers alike. I think everyone's benefiting from this. Um, what do you guys think about this? Is this as big as I'm making it out to be? Or is this just like, oh, yeah, you can buy games. Oh, yeah. Games there? And also, I think it's crazy it didn't happen as soon as Amazon bought Twitch. Yeah. I'm like, how did you guys not implement that immediately? Because that's just, that shouldn't be that hard to connect those dots. And, I mean, you're you're right, Jared. The streamers totally uh, move units for the publishers. And so the publishers should definitely help them out. And you can tell that, that uh, publishers want to do that these days with the way that they hook up with YouTubers and streamers in general. 
And I think that this is uh, also going to be big for YouTubers and not just Twitchers, um, even though it's not a service that's happening on YouTube. I think this is um, just further legitimizing how much, and will further legitimize once they see the results, how much these guys really... Um, I mean, in, they make influence, they yeah. influence, and they really uh, make people see the game in the way that that the publishers want them to see it. They 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 help people see the way see the game in the way that they're going to be playing it once they get it home, and so I think they they really do influence um, the buying decisions of those who watch, and and I think, like I said, it'll just uh, further legitimize and push youtubers and streamers into a um even further echelon yeah it seems like this is a good thing for pretty much everyone involved too oh yeah i don't i don't i mean i i don't know who benefits the most or whatever but it seems like everyone is getting gonna get something out of this that they weren't before um i don't still to this day understand the whole twitch thing but you know the whole watching people play you're obviously in the minority yeah (laughs) i know that's the thing is i'll totally acknowledge that tons of people love doing this i i don't get it but shit yeah i can't deny that that's a real thing and people love it is he in the minority jared i i don't know i mean i know that a lot of people love doing this but if we look at everybody who games and i don't mean people tapping a phone i'm talking about actual gamers do you think it's a really like Plus fifty percent of actual gamers, you know, tune into Twitch every day to watch say, a Let's Play. I would say that if it's under the age of like twenty-two, I think it's uh, the the percentage skyrockets. Over that age, I think around our age group, probably not. I think it's it's more of like a thirty seventy of thirty people watching it. But the younger generation, dude, they eat that stuff up. Like I, think I watch you're it right. from time to time too, but they like it's like their television. Like they just watch, yeah. you know. I think you're right because the way I th- like I would never really do that now, <clears throat> except if you know there wasn't much on YouTube and I wanted to see something or something from an old game or whatever. I might check it out for a few minutes, and I don't give any credence to you know who's streaming. I don't follow them or donate to them. But if I was younger and you know games were a little more limited to me and I couldn't buy almost whatever the hell I wanted, then I probably would be all over this too. Now that you say that, that's a good point. <laughs> it's funny because I'm so averse to this, and it's not even. You know, I'll watch a kind of funny Let's Play every now and then just because I like those guys and I like the way that they uh, talk about games and the way that they talk with each other and just goof around. It's Um, like, I can't get that in my schedule to be there when they're going to stream. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. But but I was about to say, I'm so averse to watching other people play video games. If I want, you know, because you were saying, oh, I don't watch Let's Plays, but if I need to see footage of a game that I'm checking out or whatever, then I'll go watch a Let's Play. When I do that, I make sure to go into YouTube and type in no commentary or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even trying to listen point. to some guy be like, hey, what's up, everybody? I'm like, fuck that, dude. I just want to see someone playing the game with their mouth shut just so I know what the game looks like. I can, Yeah, I can agree with you there, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, we're actually, we're going to have a, a divot. My original topic was going to be this month's game releases. I'm going to do that next week. Um, just because I want to make this my topic uh, after going over the news stories and stuff. I thought this was pretty big, and um, I think it deserves its own topic because I think it's a pretty huge announcement, especially for the timing of it. So for those unaware, uh, Phil Spencer over at the official Xbox Wire blog announced introducing Xbox Game Pass, unlimited access to more than 100 games. Um, and basically what this is, 
is that uh, at Xbox, we put gamers at the center of everything we do, this is Phil's words, and remain committed to giving you the freedom to play the games you want with friends you want on the devices you want. This year is shaping up to be an exciting one for gamers as we prepare to launch Project Scorpio this holiday, bringing the most powerful console ever made to the Xbox One family of devices. We continue to make platform improvements to connect the growing community of players on Xbox Live and to add a robust and diverse portfolio of games. Today, we're continuing our commitment to give you more options to diversify and expand your library of games with Xbox Game Pass, a new gaming subscription service coming later this spring. Xbox Game Pass gives you unlimited access to over 100 Xbox One and backwards compatible 360 games, all for $9.99 a month. Uh, so this is that's the end of that article there. Before we jump into just talking back and forth about um, this announcement, a quick uh, couple of little quick updates. Some people were wondering, do you have to have Xbox Live Gold for the, to use this service as well? Meaning you have to have two subscription services. No, you don't. Uh, you can just buy this by itself and not have Xbox Live Gold. Although you will need Gold to play multiplayer. That's obviously that's kind of evident, right? Uh, that's the whole point of Xbox Live in the first place and PSN and stuff. So if you just want to, you know, get this for ten bucks a month and play all the single player titles you want and never play any multiplayer, that's you're you're cool with that. It's just ten bucks a month. Uh, also, you're going to be downloading the games. This isn't streaming. Um, it's a huge problem that people have a PlayStation now. You're going to be able to download the games directly. Uh, a lot of people were concerned. Another question that came up in the frequently asked questions section uh, was how often titles were going to be coming and leaving uh, to the service, kind of like Netflix, where every month there's a bevy of movies that leave and come, right? And well, the way Phil Spencer went about this was saying that yes, games will leave, but more than likely you'll see games added than them leaving. Like there will be games that eventually leave, but it's not going to be like a, a very direct comparison of like five games leave and five games enter. He said more than likely the library will build up quicker than games are leaving the service. Yeah, he was he was basically to me just kind of covering his ass and trying to be as transparent as possible. Basically saying like, yeah, I'm going to try to try my best to make sure everything stays and I can get as much as possible on here and it stays, but I don't own the games, so I can't force them to stay basically. So there might be some that <clears throat> shuffle out. Some also, yeah. very few implied uh the last thing too before we get into the actual discussion is uh in an interview on on podcast unlocked they talked about uh what does this mean for ea access i've talked about ea access before it's five dollars a month i think thirty dollars for a year excellent service you get to play ea games early you get access to their vault of games um they asked him straight up like what does this mean for your relationship with ea access and Phil Spencer was very candid about it. He said, we don't want people to think that their gaming experience is uh, subscription-based where you need to buy subscriptions to this and this and this to play all these different games. He said, if it was up to me, I would love to have EA be a part of this. Right now, they're not, and they have their own service, and they're doing very well with it. So it's basically, you know, they want to work with EA on this. EA has their own EA access, which they're probably making very good money on. But I guarantee you, and he said this too, if Game Pass does really well and it's skyrocketing in numbers ea will probably want to be involved in that more than their ea access service because the game pass hits a larger target right of people um not everyone is uh, super excited for ea specific games but if you lump in those ea games with everything else it might be a bigger market for them then another great thing uh sorry to cut you off there there will be sales discounts for people who are part of game pass you will get discounts for games in uh, the service. So that way if you want to just buy the game outright and not have to subscribe to the service anymore. So that's huge as well. So There is some differences, though, with EA Access, right? Like you get games early with EA Access yes. and stuff like that. You get access to new games early. But as far as the back end where there's a, a – they call it the EA Vault where you can play old games, you know, yeah. three to one-year-old games – 
that's I think what he was talking about when it regards to working with EA to have their games on the service, not so much the early access part. Also, another huge thing is he was talking about this. Also, this uh, I said also twice. This doesn't affect games with gold by any means. You're still going to be getting your game releases. That has nothing to do with that. But they said that they want to use uh, Game Pass as a way to introduce gamers to indie games as well. So you'll there will be an opportunity for indie games to release on Game Pass um, because they they've talked to indie developers and this might give them the best chance to have their game out there in the open to more people than just releasing it on its own and seeing how many copies it sells. If we introduce it to people who are already paying for a service, that can benefit, right? So and and. Uh, great example. I can't tell you how many movies I've watched on Netflix uh, that are, you know, indie films that I never would have watched. I never would have even paid two dollars to rent them before Netflix was around. But yeah, that, you know, that gave them the opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you uh, might w- go watch that next director's film in a theater. Exactly. 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 The huge thing here too that uh, Phil Spencer talked about is that this was one of the things he was working on for the last two to three years. Phil Spencer's been at Xbox for three years after the abysmal Xbox One uh, announcement, and uh, he basically stated that this was one of the things on his checklist that he wanted to get done. Backwards compatibility, which was huge as we saw. Uh, he wanted to launch new hardware, which we saw on Xbox One S and also Project Scorpio coming later this year, and he said this was a huge thing. He said that he always felt that this was a service that needed to be done right, and uh, they asked him how this relates to PlayStation Now, like what he felt in relation, like did they learn from PlayStation's mistakes? And he said the big thing is that he enjoys the service, he's used the service, and it's great, but he feels that if you have the hardware to run a game, you should be able to run the game, meaning downloading and not streaming it. So I think that was a huge thing for him. He said we wanted to give people the ability to download these games and not stream them because streaming is a very big issue, and that can cause a lot of problems uh the biggest difference is that i think the downloading versus streaming with playstation now because people are going to compare these two services obviously one other thing too uh, i thought you wanted to say it oh the price. sorry the price yeah it's <laughs> half the price of playstation yeah which i didn't know was 20 dollars. that's kind of crazy to me they raised it i think a year or two ago yeah ten dollars is the perfect 9.99 is a perfect entry point because that's what people are already used to that's the netflix right. price ne- yeah exactly yeah uh, yeah, I think they're doing everything right about this. I think the one thing is with it being, uh, you know, the the Xbox Game Pass, you know, it is nice with PlayStation now that you can just hop around to any game you want. And, of course, if you're having to download each uh, Game Pass game, then that's not really the case. But um, that's just kind of how it goes, and I don't think that's a huge deal. But it really does sound like they're just... They're learning from every mistake Sony made, price and the the streaming and and this, um, this just is the, the way they're going thing. about everything. Yeah, this is the frustrating thing though, don't you think that Sony you know, Sony has all these great first party exclusives and not just first party, just exclusives in general. And Xbox has been nailing the service stuff, you know? Backwards compatibility, yeah. this, they're nailing all this. It's like, can you learn from this person? Can you learn from this person? Because like yeah. if Xbox had yep. a great stable of exclusives, Xbox would be great. PlayStation is obviously selling good. We don't need a, you know, they don't have to worry about anything. But if they had all of the service stuff, they would make PlayStation even better, and it wouldn't even be an argument. You know, it's just like holy neither shit. Neither of them have like the other, you know. Very I just crazy. thought, think about how how great Sunset Overdrive would have sold on PS4. Yeah, because the audience the audience is already a familiar with that developer, and b there's a, a larger player base, and you know. But they're it, also more familiar with that type of game, you know. Yeah. It God, just, that sucks. I I really hope that Xbox comes out and proves you know people 
wrong or maybe not even wrong just justifies the the purchase of an xbox and comes out with great exclusive content and just a reason to own a pro, uh, you know project scorpio and stuff like that they're nailing on the service end like backwards compatibility huge people love that uh, the fact that you can change your gamer tag <laughs> you've been able to forever um game pass is huge too like i just think that um this stuff is this stuff is the easy stuff i think the exclusives are hard because it's all about having developers commit to your platform right and especially if you're a losing console that's tough i think xbox has the upper hand now because they will have the quote-unquote most powerful console with xbox one s and stuff it, i think it's an even harder uphill climb because you're like we want you to make an exclusive and like well you have half the units that playstation does how are we gonna you know recoup costs and microsoft's like well we either give them a bunch of money up front or we give them what it's worth and then they deny us like i think they're fighting a battle there of getting exclusive right non-first party exclusives so I think now with like their services and all this stuff available for indie developers and Project Scorpio, I think that they can have a easier time of maybe having that conversation with, with second and third parties about getting exclusives. But I think this is huge. Phil Spencer just nailing something again, shocker. Um, but I really wish that this is followed up by some great exclusives because then you're starting to see um, Microsoft in a great position uh, moving forward, right? So um, this is something yeah, that I'm definitely going to look into too, so. Yeah, that's definitely the piece they're missing uh, is the exclusive. And, and when you look at everything objectively, that's that's really the only thing that they're at a you know a significant dif- disadvantage at. Um, otherwise, you know they're they're doing everything like as as good as they can, right? Um, but this is interesting. Um, it's another one of those that this isn't for me, um, just because I'm like trying to catch up with you know new games that come out, <clears throat> let alone very. Free, uh, uh, seldom do I get to go back and play old stuff. So, but this is a little different because at least it's there will be some current gen games on that service. Um, but the part to me that uh, isn't even there yet that I'm more excited about is it's my assumption and the way Phil talked about it in that interview was that someday that there will be an option to stream and that this will be available on different uh, platforms. You know, yep. Windows. It would be great Windows. if you could if you could do either or. That would be really exactly. awesome. Exactly. Which which is actually what Netflix does now. You can actually download. I think most shows on Netflix to a device, uh, which never used to be there. So they could follow that model. And I think it'd be great because that way you get the best of both worlds. <clears throat> you know, if you do have the Xbox one, you can download, um, and play that way. Or if you have just a smart TV, you can, you know, fire up the Xbox app and then just stream. And all you need is a controller. And that's, that's the part of, cause I always talk to you guys about how much I, how much potential I think PS now has because of that. Um, that's what excites me the most is one day, like we don't need consoles, just like we don't need, blu-ray players really anymore um and it's we're not there yet um i think like everyone it's obvious that sony went a little too early trying to push the streaming stuff when most of us can't oh my god i can't they're canceling by the way this is a good tangent um they're canceling ps now on everything except for pc and ps4 yeah really so ps3 and ps vita won't be able to do ps now anymore and and PSTV. That, they, that, that shit, yeah, and uh, PSTV or Sony Bravia TVs, like, they've fucked that shit up with Gaikai so hard. There's basically hardly any reason for them to have spent almost $400 million on Gaikai a few years ago at this point. And they've just, just fucking destroyed the potential that they had with Gaikai and with PS Now. And it's just, God, yeah. they've just so fucked they have... it up. So they have PS Now apps on Sony smart TVs and Samsung smart TVs, I believe. Why yeah. isn't there a PS Now app for Roku and Apple TV and all those? There's no reason well, that that can happen. They're canceling the TV apps anyways, so 
exactly it's weird it's that that's the that part doesn't make sense to me yeah i the, the interesting thing too so like playstation obviously launched with streaming game pass is launching with downloading i do think like you guys said the dream world is having both of those options right right and but i do think that launching with the downloading is the smarter decision oh, yeah. to begin with because of the infrastructure we have currently i would rather have it start with downloading and then have streaming included than streaming than downloading i mean that's a it's a weird arbitrary Dude, what the but... fuck was sony thinking in order for them to be able to have a viable business model with playstation now and even to have a reason to buy gaikai our infrastructure would have needed to be several years ago where it's going to be in probably about 20 to 30 years to where everyone has you know fiber internet basically all across the country, all across across the globe. Like, why the fuck did they just think in 2013 that they were going to have this service that was uber popular where you're streaming video games and there's no input lag? Like, the fuck? Well, you could say, oh, what were they thinking about that whole Xbox uh, One announcement uh, conference? It's just like these companies not understanding where the infrastructure Don't even was, get me you know? started on uh, fucking Don Matrick. I don't even yeah, want to get started guy's, on that dummy. Yeah. Um, but I think this is a huge announcement. Like I said, the only thing that's missing from Xbox now is the exclusives, and I really hope that they push through with this. We've talked about this before. You know, PlayStation means a lot more to Sony than Xbox does to Microsoft. Not meaning that they don't want them to succeed, but like PlayStation is a hefty amount of revenue for Sony. You know, and Xbox is a drop in the bucket for Microsoft. So uh, I think a lot of the uh, you know having a lot of great exclusives and stuff like that. I'm not saying this is an excuse for Xbox. I still think they need those solid exclusives, but you can tell that. PlayStation is in a position where they want to deliver because they realize how important they are to Sony, you know? And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see the future of Xbox. Hopefully PlayStation now gets fixed for PlayStation gamers because obviously it's going wrong right now. But, um, you know, Nintendo Switch comes out tomorrow, the day of recording this, and Breath of the Wild comes out. Dom, what's your topic for us? A very feisty one, right? Well, feisty well I mean, I don't know what... I don't know what we've been talking about for the last 40 minutes because of what you just said, nothing else goddamn matters. Tomorrow, it's here. I get to play it. And I'll have plenty of availability, available time to play it because it's goddamn portable. So I'll have plenty to talk about next week um, on the show. So <clears throat> my topic, though, actually, uh, I got a little excited there. Um, yeah, Dom, so, do you need to, like, finish yourself off and, like, just have us look the other way for a minute? <laughs> yeah. No, you're not wrong. Um, that's a result of when a game gets, I think, 50-some, 10 out of 10 review scores, um, which is what what I want to bring up. So right now... Remember how um, they call it enthusiast press? That is true. No. What do you mean? They call, they, they call it enthusiast press, meaning it's enthusiasts reviewing uh, games, not necessarily critics. Yeah, it's not fucking journalism. Fair enough. All right. Um, so looking at our good old friend Metacritic right now, and I'm looking at the top games of all time across all platforms. Uh, number one, of course, uh, Ocarina of Time. No, no, you know, duh. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 comes in at number two, which is interesting. Uh, Grand Theft Auto 4 for PS3. Somehow the Xbox 360 version is way farther down the list. Odd. But anyway, uh, at number four with a Metacritic average of 98 is Breath of the Wild, which is extremely jarring, um, especially considering the last couple Zelda games have kind of reviewed, you know, mediocre uh, and poorly compared to the rest of their series. So Actually, I think that's, you know, 
that is a direct correlation there, Dom. I think that people were so hungry for a quality console Zelda, which people are just hungry for a console Zelda in general, but a quality console Zelda and one that really is worthy of the series title. I think that explains why so many people are on the chalk of this game. Yeah, so that's what we're going to get into. So because of that high score, I mean, it's just, I think that's out of, I think the total is 59 reviews that comes to that 98% uh, average. Whereas Ocarina of Time, I think only had 19 reviews, 19 or 29. I'll, you know, we'll, we'll put it in the description, Kevin. Uh, <clears throat> so point being, you know, the more people reviewing the game, the harder it is to get a higher average too. So there's that. Um, but I've, you know, people are either in two camps. It seems, uh, like, okay, great. Awesome. That's a great score. I can't wait to play this game. I'm going to buy a switch and that's going to be the only game I have on it for close to a year, but that's okay because it's a 90 goddamn eight. Um, or there's people like, you know, it seems weird. You know, this series has been around for so long and so many people are so nostalgic and love it so much. And it has so much weight behind it that, you know, reviewers are either overly nostalgic and letting that bias sink in, or they're afraid of backlash from the internet and they're letting that, uh, you know, drip, uh, leak into their review score and things like that. Um, and I'm seeing like, I'm seeing like a little, like quite a bit of that. Um, and I think it's a, it's a good thing to bring up. Uh, so like I said, I'm in the opposite camp. I don't, I don't think that that is there in any meaningful way, especially, you know, people like reviewers being afraid of backlash. I think that's ridiculous. Um, uh, Skyward Sword got like sixes and sevens. And I'm sure people freak the fuck out. You know, like if if you can't give a game the score you want to give it because you're afraid of what people on the internet are going to say about you, then you know. Yeah, that's definitely lowest on the list of what I yeah. think actually happened. So that's less of it. Um, I, yeah, I think we'd we'd probably be in agreement there. I mean, we would hope that reviewers are stronger than that at least. The other part being, oh, you know, all the guys reviewing this game, you know, they just they started out with the first one and they're all they're so nostalgic and they're just letting the weight of everything kind of just make their reviews extremely biased and and i think you could definitely you could point that out and if you did some research you could find out some a couple of specific reviewers maybe that's the case and you could discover that bias in them but across 59 reviewers i don't know if that's you know i don't know if that's admissible like the law of averages kind of like buries that to me um and then also like i was saying that didn't you know that didn't help or uh, that didn't help anyone you know give skyward sword a higher score because that game scored kind of poorly, um, despite it having Zelda in the name. So um, none of us have played the game yet, so it's we, we kind of got that gap in this discussion. But do you think? Do you guys think that there's a you know any kind of bias that would leak into this game and its review scores more so than you know like Horizon, which is a brand new IP that no one has any you know long lasting connection to? I'll let you go first, Jordan, because you probably have a lot more to say. I, I have something to say, but I want you can go first. Okay, um, so yeah, I woke up today and started seeing this stuff, and um, I definitely was starting to get a vibe. I, not even, I really didn't see anybody commenting on it. I was only just seeing scores and pictures of lists of, you know, 10 people giving it a 10 or whatever. Um, and so I was kind of forming this on this opinion on my own and kind of thinking, you know, this starting to sound a little fishy and then as the day went on it was like more and more tens and tens and nine eights and all that so um looking further at the situation i definitely think there's a little something going on here i think um you know i think i 
I was talking about this in our Facebook chat. I think I I talked about this last year at E3 that people were just balls deep in this game's asshole and like you could tell that they just wanted this game to be so fucking amazing and um, we're talking about this game as if it were revolutionary when really it's anything but in a lot of uh, aspects as though it seems to me I, you know, I haven't played the game of course but um, I definitely think you know I mentioned um, at the beginning of this topic that's why they call it enthusiast press um, you know we hear this rhetoric way too much about um, these reviewers at these sites constantly reminding us that, oh, we're trying to help make sure that the people who visit our sites get the best information so that they can have the, uh, you know, that they can make the best purchasing decisions that they need to uh, when buying games. And I think that if that's the case, I definitely feel like... Um, they've failed the people that go to their sites here because there's no way that all of these motherfuckers just don't have any complaints about this game. And well, I, that's what and else I, we got to point out really quick too. They could have complaints, but that doesn't, you know, a 10 out of 10 isn't uh, a perfect game, right? No, and I understand that, but a 10 out of 10 is a game with so few complaints or compla- complaints that are so small that you're just not willing to include them in a review and I think that that's just, you know, I just don't think that there's that many people that just don't have any decent-sized complaints with this game. And so, yeah, I definitely think you're seeing the enthusiast side of the press here because um, for all the times that, uh, you know, Bethesda makes a decision to not send out early review copies and we get all these kind of whiny blog posts about how they're just trying to keep their integrity at, at these game review sites, and they're just trying to make sure that they get the best possible information to the customer at the quickest pace so they have the best you know, purchasing decisions. Um, I just don't know that that truly is the case when it comes down to it, because this is an example. It seems like this is an example of uh, them kind of just getting caught up in their enthousi- enthusiasm for uh, their passion um, for gaming and um, you know someone who's um, questioning President Trump in the White House press briefing you know they may have something definitely against them but if they're doing their job right they're unbiased and they're just trying to figure out um, you know what the true news is and what the true facts are and they're trying to get that out to the um, reader of their paper or whatever it is and regardless of the situation, they're not, you know, there's no, like, presidential enthusiasts, you know, in in journalism or anything like that. So um, I just think you really start to see those holes shine um, in situations like this because, first and foremost, anyone who is in games media has a massive passion for video games. That's just how it is. And they shouldn't be faulted for that, but I definitely think we should... Uh, remember to take those opinions with a grain of salt as the you know buyers of games these people are getting these games free and they're like oh my god it's fucking awesome well of course it's fucking awesome because it's free and it's a zelda game but tell me what is really you know 
what could really grind my gears? If I'm on the fence about this game, tell me what there is to know about it that I may want to know. And I just don't think that another, enough people are getting that information out there. Um, I don't want to go too long so we can move on to the next topic, but I have two major qualms with this, two major issues. Um, the first being that I think, and I think Zelda Breath of Wild is probably a great game. I'm not dismissing that. It's probably a phenomenal and game. And I do too. I want to put yeah. that out there. Um, my big issue is kind of like with you, Jordan, of if it seems like a lot of times for this game, if this game has a negative, they're willing to not dock a full point to it. Whereas if a different game came out that was about the same caliber and had this flaw, it could be docked to a 9. Like right? Horizon, for example. And, and we don't know that, obviously, but it just seems there's a lot of rose-tinted glasses. And that's fine and everything because you do say it's an enthusiast meta. My other issue is, and I haven't played the game, so I can't really say this for certain, but everything I've seen about that game does not speak masterpiece to me. The game... No. And the problem that I have is that people tend to state that Zelda is innovating... It's not innovating in the game industry. It's innovating on its own franchise. Yeah, what it's Zelda's innovating doing, within Zelda. Yeah, it, all of the stuff in Breath of the Wild seems like it's great innovations for Zelda and people who love Zelda. All of those things are about 10 years old when it comes to the realm of open world. None so, of that stuff is innovative. And I you, understand- could say that, you could say that if everyone who reviewed it didn't play any other games, but I'm, I would bet that you know 90% of the people who reviewed this game just came off of Witcher 3, right? And even having that experience, they still, you know, gave the score they gave. So yeah, they but no one else is in the industry. It's not a complete vacuum. I just think that they're not seeing it from Jared's perspective. Like Jared's perspective is knowing that it is innovation within the Zelda series and not within the industry as a whole. And I don't think many people are seeing it. I think many people are saying, "Wow, this is so innovative. This is so innovative. This, that, and the other are so innovative," and they're not realizing that it's only innovative within Zelda. Yeah, like, they're probably, you know, Nintendo are masters of game design. Like, they always have phenomenally well-made games. And I think that, you know, Zelda probably does a lot of things great. The problem is, is when you read reviews and they, they, the way they talk about innovation, I wouldn't mind if they talked about, like, this is innovative for the Zelda series, we've never seen this, this stuff. But they, they, the way they talk about it is they, it seems like they do dismiss other things that have come out, you know? And it's weird to me because other games don't have that benefit. It's fine if Zelda has the benefit of only being compared to other Zelda games when it comes to innovation, but, like, the likes of Fallout 4, which gets creamed in comparison to Witcher, like, that didn't have the benefit of only being compared to its own series. You know what I mean? It's very, it's very, it's a very Nintendo thing that's very weird because they are in this, their own kind of, like, set isolation that their games only get compared to their predecessors most That's of the time. a good point, too. Yeah, it's not just a Zelda thing, either. It's a Metroid and a Mario thing, too. Yeah, and it's, like... Once again, I think Breath of the Wild is probably a fantastic game, but I do think there there is a, a, a bit of rose-tinted ga- glasses, this nostalgia. A lot of people in our industry now are in their you know late to mid-30s, and they talk about how a lot of these like Nintendo NES games are still some of the best games of all time, and I hate to say it, but they're not. They were at the time, but to say that they hold up a lot of the time, I don't think it's true, and... I think a lot of it is rose-tinted glasses, and you know, when we get older, we might have that same viewpoint on stuff, but I do think that it being a 10 out of 10 from 59 different review places, that's very interesting to me that there wouldn't at least be one 9 out of 10, and maybe that's the cynic well, in me. Well, there's a couple, right? Yeah, but like, I, I do think though that, in the best case for Zelda, it's great for it, but I do think it does suffer from it only being compared to itself and a sense of nostalgia. And I, I don't think it's like a crazy issue. I don't think this is supposed to be like an 80 Metacritic game. 
but I do think that that did move it from being a low to mid to mid high 90s to what is it a 98 which is insane so it's it's an interesting conversation to have at the least maybe it's not all true but it is it is something to talk about and to realize and I think that this is a big issue that we're seeing with games journalism kind of dying and personalities becoming the forefront you know people aren't reading articles anymore people want to hear somebody that they they understand their opinion on video games and they want to hear what they have to say gone is the days of just reading pure journalism because i think people have come to understand that there is no really objective statement on on a video game and they just want to hear from somebody that has generally the same tastes what do you think about this game you know because yeah i totally agree with that and to put it in a different perspective we were having the conversation about how um uh jordan peele's get out uh his new oh, movie, so uh, so which uh, I haven't seen yet, but I'm very excited for. Um, but we were talking about how... Uh, what's the t- statistic, Jared? Uh, only only 10 movies have a 100% rating, and it's the only one with more than uh, 100 reviews or something to have 100. And isn't it, like, uh, the only horror movie? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's what it is. There's only 10 horror movies on IMDb that have 100%. It's the only one with more than 100 reviews. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, and I, uh, you know, Key and Peele is is very popular, but there's absolutely no way that there's so many, you know, Key and Peele fucking fanatics that are just like, oh yeah, well, anything Jordan Peele does from now on, you know, I'm 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 just in love with it. I think that that movie probably got accurately graded, and it's also you know, Rotten Tomatoes is very different from Metacritic, and I understand that, but. Um, you know, you listen to a fucking gaming podcast and five minutes in, you'll hear somebody go, oh, but the, you know, it's not like Zelda two, man. The way they did it back in Zelda two is, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. People in the gaming industry, especially the guys that are writing these reviews, the, the 35 to 40 ish year old guys that are at IGN and Kotaku and GameSpot and Giant Bomb and all these different places, those guys are always talking about Zelda and like Jared said always talking about these NES games like they came out a year ago and they're just the the coolest shit on the block so yeah I definitely think so the, that that's something to do with it here the dissenting bombshell that I just I just had to leave with is that to me that's completely disproven by the last handful of 3D Zelda games reviewing kind of mediocrely right yeah that's that's just what I keep going back to like that if that were true then Skyward Sword would have been overrated as well which it wasn't. It was rated really poorly. None of, Twilight game. Princess and Skyward Sword were not released in the internet age that we live in today. And I also want to remind you of how, how hungry people are for not only a console Zelda, but you know a great console Zelda. I mean, also, this game was a launch dying. title too, which is pretty huge too. It's like, you know, a, a lot of people feel that this console is going to live or die based on how well Zelda's received. I think it's a great game. Honestly, the only review I care about is Dom's review we're going to be hearing about in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm excited to talk about that. I think it was an interesting discussion to have. It was an interesting topic, Dom. Um, obviously, uh, Jordan and I are on the devil's advocate side of this to you, but that's <laughs> mostly how it goes with everything uh, related to Uncharted or Zelda. Um Though, Zelda has a great open world. Uh, you wanted to talk about open worlds, Jordan. Yeah, so um, I wanted to talk... This is uh, actually a topic I've had written down my phone forever. Um, I've been wanting to talk about the evolution of open worlds in video games. And of course, um, 
nobody, none of us have played uh, Zelda yet, but Dom and I have been playing Horizon. Of course, Jared's played plenty of open world games, um, and we'll we'll kind of mix in that conversation. Um, I think that uh, so far, six hours in to Horizon, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful open world. I think it's the best looking open world game ever. Um, and I think it's definitely pushing in the right direction. I don't think it's completely evolutionary or revolutionary. I do think that it is, you know, people talk a lot about open world fatigue and I definitely feel like I have that at this point and starting up horizon, I felt like, um, I could still feel it. It wasn't just cleansing me of that, but I do think it is a step in the right direction. Um, also, I just got the art book today, just came out for Horizon, and just looking, I, I barely peeked at it because I really didn't want to spoil myself on any of the parts of the game I hadn't come to yet, but just seeing the concept art, that's some of my, fa- open world concept art is some of my favorite concept art, because it's different, you know, a lot of concept art is like just showing the characters um, and how they're like interacting with each other, but open world concept art shows how the character interacts with the world in such a unique way and usually has the artist themselves uh rendering these gorgeous backgrounds um to properly demonstrate the world that they're trying to build in this game so um, i just wanted to give that a little shout out also side tangent here the art book just came out today a couple days after the game that's okay the strategy guide for Horizon doesn't come out until the 14th of March. <laughs> they want you going in on your own. What the fuck, dude? Usually, and like the Mass Effect strategy guide that comes out the day of the game. Most strategy guides I get come out the day of the game. I don't know what the hell's going on. That's just a weird weird thing. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I feel like I'll be far enough into the game at that point I might not even need it. I don't know. Anyways. Evolution of open world. So yeah, uh, I just wanted to basically pose uh this question um like i said i don't feel like horizon necessarily reinvents a wheel um what i'm looking forward in this conversation is uh looking towards the future what do we think we're going to start seeing in open worlds i have some ideas that i'm going to put in but i want you to go ahead and start off so my biggest idea and my biggest problem with open world games so i like open world games a lot Um, But I am starting to feel that fatigue to a certain extent. I do tend to like the open area games more, the Tomb Raiders, the Mass Effects, the Dragon Ages, where it's these big areas, but they're not like a big wide open world, right? I think the biggest evolution to open world games uh, moving forward is not making the map larger and larger, but I think keeping the map where it is or maybe shrinking it down even a little bit and making it denser. I think that's the biggest issue with open world games, that people feel that the worlds are empty. Like, there's so much space, but there isn't a lot of things taking up that space. Um, Denser and more intricate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think making, you know, a big topic of discussion when it came to The Witcher 3 was that the side quests actually felt, you know, like they were... Wow, I actually give um, a shit. Yeah. um, Bioware said that, you know... Project, uh, CD Projekt Red's uh, Witcher 3 was a huge inspiration for Andromeda, and instead of having all of these rudimentary uh, side missions, that they wanted to make the side missions actually feel like something worth completing and not just filler. And I think that's a big thing with open world, is I think just making it, they need to make it more dense because 
you know you can make your maps bigger and bigger and bigger and that's great but I think when you you can create better experiences if you focus less on making the maps bigger and just making everything inside that line more interesting and more interesting. I totally agree. Yeah. But I I gotta say real quick, I, and I've heard this story about Mass Effect. The people working on Mass Effect mentioning, you know, the influence from The Witcher and and giving them the props for making side quests that actually matter. But I gotta say, you know. The Witcher obviously took a big step, and a lot of people were really surprised and taken aback by that in the industry, but I definitely feel like they got that from Bioware games. I feel like Bioware was making... Yeah, I feel like they were iterating on Bioware, because Bioware was already making those strides and getting to that point. Now, you know, where I'm at in Mass Effect 2, the side quests aren't, you know, just... They're not necessarily anything to write home about, but they're definitely better than the average cut, so... The character ones are mostly pretty pretty damn good all the companion loyalty missions yeah yeah. those are great those i think are actually technically part of they're optional they're optional i can't talk about why yeah yeah just make sure you do them all of them though sure sure sure. (laughs) um Um, okay so dom what what do you think is going to be the next like what where do open world games need to go to either get rid of fatigue or just you know come up with something new and refreshing what is the evolution yeah I don't know that it's necessarily density because even in Witcher 3, you would get worn out on that after a while. Um, that certainly helps because, yeah, there are a lot of games that are just empty. And real um, quick, I'm not talking about density in the number of missions and stuff. I'm just talking about the attention to detail. Stuff. Like making yeah. the yeah, world so, – you not have to interact with everything, but making the towns feel more lived in, making things just look more intricate, you know? Not for me, yeah, I think it so. is – for me, I think it is less of the word uh, – uh, denser or detailed and it's more intricate yeah i think the more intricate that uh open worlds become that that's really going to push them but go ahead dom i don't want to get too far into it yeah no and i don't really have a great answer i guess um what part of me wants to say like ah, well you know i I would like more things that go towards the way of dark souls where everything is interconnected in that kind of way that approach you know that's not going to work for every kind of game that's not really going to work for horizon um where, you know, you just go down one elevator and all of a sudden you're back at the beginning of the game, you know, after 20 hours of trekking out. So that's not necessarily going to work for a lot of games. To me, the only thing I can, like, put, put you know, like, pinpoint with Horizon is that just the setting and the story and the characters and everything going on is just something so new and fresh. And that's what makes it most interesting. Because it's not, you know, the gameplay, all the stuff, like, it's not revolutionary. Like, every single bit of Horizon... Uh, you know, functionally is has been done by other games. Right? Yeah, the bow and arrow feels exactly like Tomb Raider. Right. So like all that, like I've done before. So it, you would think like you'd get fatigued on it, but it's just because what? How many other games? How many other books, movies, or anything have I consumed that have to do with you know, this weird primitive tribe of people and you know robot dinosaurs and like a primitive this, future? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And and this. <laughs> this weird religion that I don't want to say too much about, but it's damn interesting. And like every, like all this, all this stuff about the setting and the way it's set up is what makes it is what, what is making it interesting to me. And it's, that's kind of like motivating the exploration and the lack of fatigue, you know, going so, yeah. the, the same gameplay that we're used to. I think setting is actually, you brought up a really good point there. Setting is a huge part of open world because for me personally, um, one of the only reasons that I don't play fallout games or I shouldn't say that, one of the biggest reasons 
I don't play Fallout games besides the fact that I don't like how Bethesda makes broke-ass games is um, the open world that exists in a wasteland. And I think that setting is just, you know, kind of sucks me dry and I just don't want to get involved with it. And it's um, um, it's not uh, gripping to me in the same way. On the other side, though, like, the in general, yeah, the wastelands are kind of played out. But what makes those games, you know, good is that it's a wasteland in Washington D.C. in an area of the Washington know. Monument. Yeah, in Boston, I do like that part a town of it. Yeah, in Fenway Park, that's what makes that interesting. But you're sure, right about sure. the wasteland starting to get played out in general. Yeah, um, that's yeah, why I, I think, think setting... cyberpunk's going to be huge, man. Sorry to interrupt you, but like, yeah. we don't really. Deus Ex was trying to be that cyberpunk game that hit with a, a major audience, and I obviously didn't do that, evident by its sales and stuff like that. But I think the, you know, CD Projekt Red knows how to make games. And I think when we see that game unveiled at E3, when it's final state, and you see if, if there's going to be a game that's going to be more uh, intricate, it's going to be a CD Projekt uh, Red game that takes place, and we're assuming a city, right? A very dense city. And uh, I think that that's going to be intriguing to a lot of people because we're, you know, Far Cry Primal is kind of like Horizon in some sense, obviously not one-to-one. And we do have, like, these fantasy-esque things. But, like, a future, like, uh, uh, like a future-based, like, hyper technology uh cyberpunk game i think is something that would be refreshing and i really can't wait for that game so so i just want to go ahead and call this now um it is march 2nd 2017 cyberpunk one day before zelda <laughs> before the equilibrium uh so cyberpunk is about to be fucking gigantic because um, we have tons of cyberpunk movies coming out. We've got Ghost in the Shell this month. We've got uh, Blade Runner 2049 later this year. Um, we've got cyberpunk video games coming out. With uh, Deus Ex came out last year. Then Cyberpunk 2077 is coming out. Um, Cyberpunk's about to be the next big genre. I'm just feeling it. And so yeah, I think we're gonna get. I, I think we're gonna get plenty of um, stuff like that. Um, but anyways, back to the open world stuff, um, you know, talking about the setting I think is huge. Um, also real quick, I want to say this about horizon. I'm starting to maybe think that it isn't futuristic. I'm starting to think that it actually does. No, but I don't even, but we're at the same part in the game. It's not like I know any more than you. I'm just thinking, thinking like maybe it actually is in the past and it's kind of a story about how, you know, um, time is a loop or. Uh, time is a circle and things keep happening over and over the same way kind of deal um so yeah that's just one of my side theories but anyways one of my things is um as you mentioned jared the intricacy i think that's big um in the future of open world games i think you know when we had uh ian hink from easy allies on the show he and i were talking about uh AI in games getting a lot more realistic and how much more that could hook you into the world of a game. And if an AI is, you know, responding to you based on um, your own responses as the player, like you could either type them in or speak them in, I don't know, but you're not just picking responses that the developers made up. You're actually, you know, interacting with an AI within the video game, an NPC, and then they're... um, correctly reacting to you based on how you handle the situation i think that would be really cool personality right like what they were right yeah that sounds awesome and based on you know you may be 35 
you may be 75% into the game and you've had all these experiences with this AI character. And so you build up the, um, that whole situation. So yeah, I think, um, that could lead to a big step in intricacy for open world games. I think, um, honestly, 4k is going to do a lot for open world games because think about this. People talk about, oh, well, games already look so good. I don't need them to look better or whatever, but there's a big difference in what, uh, you know, uh, dice can do with a battlefield or a battlefront game versus what CD Projekt or even Guerrilla can do with an open world game because like a battlefield game, they're not open world. They're not, you know, they're really just these smaller levels. Contained. Yeah. They're contained, they're linear, they're whatever. And you're really able to, to focus and pinpoint and make everything look a lot crisper. But now with 4K... Dude, I'm telling you, playing on the Pro with this 4K TV, like, Horizon looks incredible down to the smallest detail. And the world is so big, it's astonishing. It's it's really a feat in human achievement. Like, it's crazy how intricate they've been made, able to make this vast virtual world. And so I think that's going to help a lot, too. Um, of course, processing power. Now, Jared, you talked about things actually getting smaller. And I think... That's actually not that might that might be the more beneficial way for us as gamers, but I'm not necessarily sure that's the way it's going to go. I'm starting to think that, um, and this has actually started happening. I think we're going to start getting what I call in my head ultra open worlds, and those are like so. Uh, basically, The Witcher did this, and uh, Dragon Age did this back in 2014, but it's like how how The Witcher and Dragon Age. Um, have, uh, like, separated open worlds, right? So there's, like, Skellige, and there's Novigrad, and there's multiple different places in The Witcher, and there, and you can bounce between the different spots, but you have to fast travel. You can't just, like, walk from one place to the next, right? Well, uh, Dragon Age is the same way, and I'm sure there's other open worlds that are the same way. Um, and so, yeah, I think you'll you'll start having almost, like, individual open worlds things that would have been equal to the size of one open world game 10 years ago there will be like several of those within uh the open world and that's really yeah and that's really what the witcher is when you think about it like it's several open worlds you know attached together and so i think you're going to start having these ultra open worlds where um you know ea is going to come out with a 120 dollar game but you'll be able to play it for a thousand hours and still not see all the content, you know, and you don't have to, right? You don't have to play it that much. I mean, if you got 500 hours out of a game, you're telling me you didn't get $120 worth, you know, you're seeing all new content, all new worlds, all new game mechanics. I mean, I think that's something we could really start seeing in the future. People were talking about charging a hundred for the Witcher. Yeah. Square Enix, the Avengers would be awesome. It feels like that. And each think about that, dude, Think about that. That's the perfect... Jared, you just made a huge connection. So for the open (laughs) worlds I just described, Marvel would be perfect because you could have all these fucking superheroes and there's an X-Men open world and there's a Fantastic Four open world and an Avengers open world and all this different shit, you know? The the only problem with that specific example is they'd rather sell those uh, as separate games and make more money on them. (laughs) Yeah, but for the Avengers... I don't know. I mean, you could... For something like that, you could actually sell it for like... 
a hundred dollars base price and then yeah you want to add uh the x-men you want to add the fantastic four those are expansion packs yeah expand yeah think about this like if you if you release a game like that that's the avengers you know designing an open world to work with somebody playing as iron man is completely different than designing an open world to work with somebody as the hulk so like imagine if you have a game like that where it is open multi-world and you know one world is based purely around you playing as iron man and the mechanics of that and maybe they can work that around so it works as maybe a different hero like spider-man or something you know that'd be cool that's kind of like crazy that's a more core fundamental problem with cinematic universes in general right true (laughs) i definitely think I think you're going to see this. I think you're going to see this type of stuff start happening. I think um, games are going to get bigger in that sense, and I think it really wouldn't surprise me if we started seeing like just some giant open world games that it costs like a hundred bucks. But EA or Activision is like, guys, you're going to love how much content is in there, and and people will dig it, you know? Yeah, I think open world has. People, it, though it is uh, fatiguing, and we've seen a lot of open world can offer. I think there is a lot of uh, innovation to be made. <laughs> Going back to a previous, the buzzword of the episode. You know um, why I think, you know why I think we have so much of that fatigue though is because of the fact that we do have so many open worlds that aren't filled with really quality content. I yeah. mean, you know, Mad Max and Just Cause and like. I can just throw out game after game after game after game that is an open world and that just doesn't have very much content that's fun that's really... I mean, that's what people talk about with Ubisoft all the time, you know? You just kind of get in the groove of the game and then you just uh, rinse and repeat until you finish the game like 30 hours later. Yeah, the open world world is there to be a time sink, not necessarily there to be a world. And I think that's a huge issue. Um, Yeah, I think that's it, though. I think we had a great, you know trio of topics uh, as far as what we're going to be playing i talked about at the beginning of the show i'm going to be finishing hollow knight going to be playing through that uh unfortunately i didn't pre-order a switch so i'm not getting zelda i don't want a playstation uh 4 so i don't have horizon so i'll figure out something else to play uh as i weep in my sadness um jared when when are you going to get a playstation 4 because you know it's going to happen at some point you know it yeah, may be I, like 2019 yeah. or something but yeah, it's on my like I am not like opposed to owning a PlayStation Four. It's just having the the um, enough expendable income to justify me getting a second console. Because um, so, ooh boy, dude, once you get it, you've already got a library just lined up. Yeah, I don't, I'm kind of worried that I might not be able to get to one until it's PlayStation Five or something. So I might just have to hop in there. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, like, the the longer you wait at this point, you waited long enough longer you wait it's just gonna go down and down in price and same yeah with like games. i mean i bought my ps3 for last of us and i got it for like a hundred bucks or something by that point so like yeah um but anyways i'm gonna be playing hollow knight uh figure out something else to play a couple other things to go into season four of overwatch ranked started and they actually announced a new hero today which is really cool the game's so well made i love that game so much um that's pretty much it gonna be watching more mr robot like i talked about last week and uh, mr robot more Riverdale, my my uh, guilty pleasure show. Uh, that's pretty much it for me. What about you guys? So, um, <laughs> one word. <answer>. Sorry <laughs> about that. Uh, so, of course, I'm going to be playing more Horizon. That I'm going to actually finally kind of get my teeth my teeth sunken into and be able to uh, bring back some deeper impressions next week. Um, deeper impressions. That sounds like a porn. Um, and, uh, I also want to give a shout out to a show that I've, uh, just started watching that I'll be watching the, 
uh, latest couple episodes of. It's called Detroiters. You guys heard of this show? It's a brand new show yeah. on Comedy Central. A couple of my um, friends. It's only about an hour and a half away. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, anyways, uh, it's one of the dudes who's a side character on Veep, and then another guy who's kind of just a side character in a bunch of movies and shows, and so you kind of seen them around, and they're funny dudes, and basically they are uh, playing these two admin in Detroit, and they're goofy as hell, and it is just a really funny show. So, um, really enjoying that. It just now started, uh, like, fourth episode aired last night, I think. So, um, giving that show a shout-out. Check out Detroiters on Comedy Central. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I've been be playing more Horizon. And then I went ahead and pre-ordered uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands for this Tuesday. Um, and I'm super excited about that. I didn't pre-order Nier because I hadn't finished the first one, and so I'm waiting on that one. Um, but Ghost Recon looks like, uh, very similar to the Metal Gear Solid Five gameplay, and I think I will enjoy that very much. I'm gonna be playing it alone, so we'll see how that goes. Um, and... I feel like there was something else. You're gonna watch Logan tomorrow. Uh, I'm gonna see when I go see Logan because I was, as I was telling you guys earlier, they're only showing it in IMAX and uh, what's called Big D at my theater. And um, like the IMAX in my theater is not even real. Like it's it's not real IMAX at all. It's bullshit IMAX because they can basically call it IMAX because of the sound quality. I think or some bullshit like that. Like the screen is not that big at all, not extra big at least. And so I'm just not trying to pay all that extra money to go see IMAX, and so I might have to wait a few days or just go to Green Hills, which is a little closer to Nashville. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really dying to see Logan. I'm dying to see Get Out um, and uh, Ghost in the Shell coming out later this month. Big cyberpunk movie. So, yeah. Awesome. Dom, Zelda, I'm assuming? Just Zelda? Yes, and Horizon. If, well, this will be the test to see... Uh... Uh, if I get to Horizon, whichever game holds my time more will be an interesting. That little that'll tell us a lot about each of the games. Yeah, uh, so busy week for everybody. I think. Uh, thank you for listening or watching episode forty nine of the Control Ventures Gamecast. You can follow us at Twitter C T R L I N T. You can follow us at our personal accounts. I'm at Jared underscore. Dom is at Dom's Oreos and Jordan is at Metal Modus. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, go to our website Control Ventures. You can find all our content there. You can also follow us on iTunes and leave a rating if you would like. That helps. Thank you very much. And we're also available on Google Play if you take your podcast that way. That's pretty much it. Uh, catch you guys in episode 50 next week. We've done 49 of these, almost 50, which is crazy. Uh, so we'll catch you guys next week.